Good morning, everybody. My name is, you know, Eric Birch. I'm uh, one of the associate pastors here. Dan is off on a um, training session, and uh, so I get the privilege of bringing the message today. I want to take a moment before we get started, though, and I want to pray for the folks uh, in the Ukraine right now. Um, there, I know there's faces here, people that have seen war, that have been there. Um, I talked to my mom. Talked to my mom yesterday, and uh, you know she was nine when living in France when World War II started, and uh, she it really brought nightmares back to her of what it means to live in a country in war. And uh, I really just pray that everyone this week just prays earnestly for that situation. Um, and uh, so let's pray now. So Lord. Uh, Lord, we lift up the people of Ukraine and, and uh, the situation that's going through right now, and we know, Lord, that is not what you want. That is not the world that you want to see, uh, and yet we're there. Um, we pray, Lord, for the safety of the Ukrainian people. We pray that the, um, the war ends quickly, uh, that the, the efforts by other parties of the world to um, force an end to the war are successful, Lord. But first and most, Lord, we just pray for everyone there that they would know you um, and that they would be able to find some comfort knowing that you are there and they're in your arms. In your most holy name, amen. All right. Well, we are starting a new series today uh, called Identity in Christ. Um, and... Uh, have you ever wondered if you are really in Christ? I mean, what does it mean to be in Christ? You might be thinking, well, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church all the time. Am I in Christ? Or you might be asking yourself, well, I remember I prayed this prayer when I was at this teen conference. They had a call up. I came up there, prayed the prayer. Am I in Christ? There's so many different groups and so many different ideas out there. Am I in the right one? Am I in Christ? Well, I'll tell you, asking those questions is a good thing. Understanding who you are in Christ is very, very important. So we're going to be starting a new um, series termed Identity in Christ. And that term, in Christ, is used in the New Testament over 80 times. So it's very important that you understand what your identity is in Christ. And we are going to dig into that term, in Christ. And when I say dig, I do mean dig. This series will run till Advent. So by the time we get there, you should have a very solid understanding of what it means to be in Christ. And how wonderful that is to be in Christ. Now today's message is, I am destined. Have you asked yourself, why are you here today? I don't mean here today, but here as in the body of Christ. Why are you in the body? You're part of the largest religious group in the world. Christians make up 31% of the population of the world. Is it coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence. 
And you were not a coincidence. You were planned. You were destined to be here. Today's verse that we're going to unpack is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, which reads, But it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, a Christian believer experiences two births. There's a physical birth, and there's a spiritual birth. So let's first look at your physical birth. Now, we know that you all experienced a physical birth. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. So how is it brought about? Well, we know the biology of it all. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, you had no say in your conception. You had no say in when it would occur. You had no say in whether you're going to be a man or a woman. Most of us had no say in what our given name was going to be, uh, where we were going to get born. We had no say in any of that. And as you grow up, you start to get a say in things. You get a say in what you wear, how you do your hair. I know my kids used to do it all sorts of crazy ways, and people were like, why do you let them do that? Because it grows back. I mean... <laughs> Why, why worry about it, right? <laughs> but before your parents knew you were coming, God knew you were coming. From the very beginning of time, God knew you were coming. And he crafted you in your mother's womb exactly as you were supposed to be. Now that is an amazing thing. That whole idea of of that, that process of weaving the, the DNA and all the things involved so you came out exactly the way you're supposed to be. You know, I, I, I get frustrated when I see in the world, it's like, well, my nose should have been shorter or I should have been taller. No, you shouldn't have been. You are exactly what you were supposed to be. You were created exactly the way you were supposed to be created. There was no mistakes, no oopses, no wish I would have. And I realize that's counterculture today. But that's the message from God. You were crafted exactly as you were supposed to be. One of my favorite sets of verses is in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, where it reads, For you created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. I mean, that has to just fill you with such joy. To know that before the beginning of time, God knew exactly what he was going to do, and he built you piece by piece in your mother's womb to be exactly what you were supposed to be. That the creator of the universe destined you to be who you are and where you are. And for me, that's one of the most amazing things, that he would have taken so much time on just me and on you and on you and on you and you. It's amazing. So we were made purposely by God. He ordained our existence. 
I used to tell my foster kids, your, your arrival may have surprised your parents, but it didn't surprise God. He knew you were coming all along. Um, and you have a unique and divine purpose. He created you for a reason. Now, the same is true of your spiritual birth, because unity of the body and the spirit is essential for full life. So just as you were ordained in the body, your spiritual birth was ordained as well. So again, the verse that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, but it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So the verse has two major parts. The first part, but it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus. Now the reason you came to Christ lies in the purposes of God. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, you are able to come to know God. And that happened before the foundations of the world. That plan to bring you into a spiritual knowledge of Jesus Christ was planned from before the beginning of time. We read in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. You get that? From before the creation of the world, God declared that you would be holy and blameless before him. And he destined you to be with him. Therefore, your union with Christ is to be credited to God. It was in his plans. He brought you to Christ. You were a stranger, but he brought you close. You were the enemy, but he reconciled himself to you. You would never have come to Christ to seek his mercy on your own. The Spirit of God brings that awareness of us that awareness of our fallen nature and our need for Jesus Christ. That's God's operation as well as God's decree that you are in this day a believer in Jesus Christ. Think about that. Whenever you came to know the Lord, that's exactly when you were supposed to. And it was destined since before the creation of the world that it occurred. Yeah, like, wow. So it's good for us to think about that. And whether you're a new believer or you've been a believer for a long time, you should really remember that day when you came to know the Lord. I know for me, I was raised mostly Catholic. And I say mostly Catholic because my dad was kind of like a deist Presbyterian. And uh, my mom kind of was in charge. So I was Catholic. Um, and I heard the message many, many times. I went to church. I, you know, it was one of those things. You had to go to church. And we were talking um, earlier this week about the old days of church. You know, you had church clothes. You know, we had your dress up, your jacket, you know, all that. Clip-on clip ties. 
I know a lot of you guys will remember those clip-on, at least you older guys will, the uh, clip-on ties. And I can remember coming home, and what was the first thing your mother said when you got home from church? Take off your Sunday clothes. Well, if I put something else on, is that not also Sunday clothes? But we all know what she meant. Hang up the nice stuff, right? You don't want you to wear it through the knees or something, right? But that's not when I came to know the Lord. I came to know the Lord when I was 33. I had heard the message hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. And it never made sense. Never rang a bell. And then one day, I have a meeting with the pastor uh, at the church here in town. And we're going through it. And all of a sudden, it was like, ding, this light went on. And I became aware that I had a need of Jesus Christ. That it had to be a change in my life. That my behaviors had to change. I remember coming home to Donna and saying, Donna, you won't believe what happened. And Donna thought I was already a Christian. You know, because I went to church. You know, going to church thinking you're a Christian is like sitting in a garage and thinking you're a car. (laughs) You know, it's got nothing to do with where you attend. Right? It has to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, and I had been to church my whole life. But that's not what gets you to know Jesus Christ. And I hear from people, oh, I was with Jesus since I was two. Well, did you ever accept him as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know the day that that happened? Do you know the day that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Well, it's important to know that day and to celebrate that day. I mean, I knew my life had to change. I came home and told Donna, Hey, there's some people I can't hang out with anymore. She's like, I could have told you that. But. <laughs> but I mean, all of a sudden, these things became aware that they were wrong. I mean, to me, it was just a, an amazing thing. And I will always be grateful for the work the Holy Spirit has done in me. From the very beginning to now, that constant process of growing in him. And he continues to work. If you surrendered your life, and you know, it's I, I, to me the Christian life is a lot like when I think of the way that Michelangelo carved the statue of David. Right? He starts with this big chunk of marble. I think it's marble. It might be granite. I'm not a rock expert, but the um, but he starts by knocking off really big chunks, and then as he works down, he starts working on details. You know, he cleans up the fingernails and all the other stuff, right? And so when you first come to know the Lord, there's big chunks that have to get knocked off. There's things that are, you just got to change, big time. But then as you start to get more and more and more, then he starts to go, hey, you need to work on this. Hey, I'm good with that one. I will just, how about we work on something else? No, I think we should work on this one. And you slowly have to surrender yourself and those things. You know, interesting, sin is the fact that we just like doing things not the way God wants us to do it. And that covers all sorts of stuff, you know. Uh, and every one of us has our own bucket of stuff. You know, it's important to spend time with God. So, okay, what do we need to work on now, right? Because if you think you're done, you have not spent enough time asking. <laughs> so, all right. And again, this is that process of conversion, that awareness that you need to know Jesus Christ is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not something you did. If you think you converted yourself, we should talk later. Salvation is not due to the will of man. It's not because of your lineage. It's not because you were born of a royal family. No, it has to do with the work of 
the Holy Spirit in your life bringing you to an awareness of your need for Jesus Christ. And the cool part of that is that it was destined since the beginning of time that that would occur. Sometimes I ask myself, God, why did you wait till I was 33? There's so much stuff I wouldn't have done had I known earlier. But the reality of it is I was converted exactly when I was supposed to be. And whatever happened before did. And it made it part of who I am now. And God has a purpose in that. So instead of pounding on yourself because of what you did or didn't do, know who you are now today and where you're going with that. And it's, I'm going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. This is Paul speaking. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Paul, right? Pharisee of Pharisees is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. And Jesus Christ appears to him in a great light and converts him. Saul the Pharisee to Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. What a conversion. What a change in direction. What a realignment in his values. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the strength of the Holy Spirit, if we're willing to yield to it. So, through the operation, the will, and the purpose of God, you are, this day, a member of Christ's body, and one with Jesus. At least that's my hope that you are. I certainly hope that everyone here knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If you do not, Again, definitely talk to me later because it's a very important decision for you to make. Again, echoing the first part of the verse today, it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus. So give all the glory to God that you are here today a follower of Jesus Christ. So now we know that we're destined to be in Christ. What does that mean? What do we have what do we possess? The answer is we have spiritual wealth. What is spiritual wealth? Well, let's read the second part of the verse. Who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we see in this verse four things that we receive from God. The first is wisdom. So Jesus Christ brought the wisdom of God to us, and that wisdom is a proper understanding of God's ways in the world he created. Jesus also brought us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. These are tenets of the faith. Righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And it only makes sense to us because we were given wisdom from God. It's interesting, when I talk to people who don't know God about things like this, it doesn't make sense to them, and it shouldn't. They don't have godly wisdom. How would they understand it, right? If I haven't been trained in something, I don't know how to do it. 
Well, if you don't have the wisdom of God, you can't understand the wisdom of God. It shouldn't surprise us. Now, it's interesting, in this translation, the NASB translates it correctly. Righteousness and sanctification are connected. We'll talk a little bit more than that later, but those are related to each other. And then, of course, redemption. But first, we're going to look at godly wisdom that comes through Christ. Godly wisdom clearly stands apart from human wisdom. Paul points out earlier in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 20 and 21, where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? For God has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. One of the things that amazes me about Christianity is the fact that there is no way man came up with the story. It makes no sense. It is not in our carnal minds a story we would create. There's other religions that fit right in. Yeah, if I was going to make a god, that's how I'd make him. Well, then you're probably wrong. Well, you are wrong. It's not a probably. You are wrong. Now, there are those in the world that always insist that their wisdom is so much better than our own. And they believe that it comes from their own thoughts, their own minds, and the whole workings of things. You know, they hope somehow to be revealed divine truth through their own carnal mind. You see how impossible that is? How can you know God's truth in your own mind? The distance is infinite between those two. And that's been the history of mankind for millennia. Mankind has always thought himself more knowledgeable than God. It goes all over the place, right? But we know that such wisdom is foolishness. And true wisdom comes from God. I know for me it became apparent that there is greater wisdom to believe in Christ than whatever my mind could come up with. And it's when you finally realize you can't do anything on your own, that you need Christ, that you actually start to become wise and you start to understand what that means. Because the reality is that my thoughts are stained by my still sinful life. While I have been made right with God, there's still flesh that I fight against. And that flesh interferes with my ability to think purely in godly thoughts. Not so the wisdom of God. Wisdom of God is not tainted by that worldly flesh. Isaiah 55, verses 7 through 9 says, Let the wicked abandon his way and the unrighteous person his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, for as heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So we don't think like God. It shouldn't surprise you. you know, and for people to think that somehow they can know so much that they have the wisdom of God is, is just really laughable. You'll never find true wisdom by relying on the human mind. Um, only through Jesus Christ will godly wisdom become available to us. 
So what is godly wisdom? Well, my father used to say, experience is what you get from your own mistakes, and wisdom is what you get by learning from other people's mistakes. So, <laughs> the dictionary defines wisdom as the right use of knowledge. To simply know is not to be wise. There are many men out there who know a great deal and are more the fool for it. There is no such greater fool than the all-knowing fool, the one who thinks they have it all figured out. Now, the person who accepts that Jesus Christ is our source of wisdom benefits in three ways. First, Christ's teaching. Christ's teaching will make them wise of thought and wise of heart. So important that when we are acting, that we're thinking before we act, that we're acting the way that Jesus would want us to act. Everything you need to know about God, of sin, of life, of death, of eternity, of salvation, of man's responsibility, Christ has either personally or by the Holy Spirit taught you or will continue to teach you through the scriptures and through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Everything. Second, Christ's example. It is always wisest to act in any situation the way Jesus would have acted, supposing him to be in that same situation. Do you remember the old bracelets that said WWJD? Remember those? What would Jesus do? It's really important when you get ready to do something that you ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Would he do this? Right? I, I, I know it would have saved me a lot of argument. Um, is there any point in arguing with a fool? No. I can't expect them to understand godly wisdom. They don't know God. And to waste my time arguing with them was foolishness. Again, you'll never be a fool if you follow what Jesus Christ would do, except perhaps in the eyes of the fool. And who cares where you stand in the eyes of a fool? Third, Christ's presence. We must never forget that Christ is present with us today. One of the unique things about Christianity is we serve a God who is eminent. He is with us. Islam, God is not eminent. He is not with them at all. They're doing all they can to get to him. Not so ours. Our God is with us today, right now, right here. We must be strong when we confront philosophies which insults our Lord. And you know what I'm talking about. I get that man, will, you know, I'll have a conversation with someone, and I say, well, I just don't believe the Bible. Okay. And? <laughs> we can't waste our time fighting with people that refuse to believe. We need to share the truth of Scripture, defend the fact that who Jesus Christ is. How is that? Well, I don't believe Jesus Christ existed. Excuse me? There's more historical evidence on Jesus Christ than there is on Julius Caesar. And yet, you believe Julius Caesar exists. Well, I don't believe that he was God. Well, he's one of three things. He's either God, 
a liar or a lunatic? Which of the three do you think he is? He's one of those three. He's the only answer. I love it. People say, well, I just believe Jesus Christ was a great teacher. Well, he claimed to be God. Was he a great teacher and claimed to be God? And he wasn't God? That would make him a liar. So which one is he? And the key is to put that thought in their mind. You're not going to convince them. Just put the thought. Right? We do not come up with some wonderful conversation that converts people. No, we share the truth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, just as he converted you, brought you to him, does the same thing with everyone else. Your job is to share the message and do so boldly and confidently. Do it gratefully. You know, it's interesting. I have people that say, well, you Christians are all proud of that. No, no, quite the opposite. We're quite humble about it. The fact that the creator of the universe destined for me to have a relationship with him, that to me is the most humbling thing there, that he would accept me and allow me to be destined to spend eternity with him. That is an amazingly humbling experience. Again, the Bible is the inerrant word of God, and people have an issue with that. Well, I don't believe this or that part of the Bible. Well, it's not a, not a multiple-choice question. The Bible is the inherent, inerrant word of God, all of it. You can't say, I like this piece, but not this piece. You get all of it. And again, like I said, we run into all sorts of knowledgeable fools out there that have wonderful theories about the creation of mankind, the formations of the world, but it's just a busy tongue out of an educated fool. Hold to the truth of Scripture. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. To know Christ is the best of all philosophy, the highest of all sciences. If you know Christ, you need never be afraid or ashamed or confused, whatever company you may be in. The truth of Jesus Christ is the strength. It does not matter how lofty they think themselves to be. If you told them of God who came in human flesh, loved and lived and died and rose to heaven to redeem mankind, you would have told them a greater mystery and a more profound secret than human reason could ever discover. I want to repeat that. It does not matter how lofty they think themselves to be. If you told them of the God who came in human flesh and loved and lived and died and rose to heaven to redeem mankind, you have told them a greater mystery and a more profound secret than human reason could ever discover. Hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the wisdom of God. Now I could go on and on. The Bible is full of examples of wisdom of God and its work, but we must go on. And I know there's no growth group, so I could just keep going, but... Um, <laughs> Some of you probably have plans. Um, <laughs> all right, so the next one we're going to talk about is righteousness. Um, Jesus became for us righteousness. So before we came to know the Lord, righteousness is something we needed. And for naturally, we are unrighteous, right? 
And in ourselves alone, we will always be unrighteous. But we must be righteous to be acceptable to God. For all of us have become like one who is clean. All our personal righteousness is as filthy rags. And we're unable to stand before the throne of God on our own. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous deeds are like filthy garments, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our wrongdoings like the wind take us away. But our Lord Jesus Christ made us righteous before God. And we think of that as sort of this double work. Jesus Christ cleansed us by his blood, and then he made us righteous before God. His blood pardon is bestowed upon the believer. He who looks to Christ is absolved from all sin, completely so. And then in addition, which we call pardon, or the cleansing which we call pardon, there is clothing, the arraying in righteousness. Right? Once our sin is absolved, we are arrayed in the righteousness of God. We call this the doctrine of imputed righteousness. What does that mean? It means... Imputed means to give credit or blame to someone or something other than the person initially responsible. In this case, it means that Christ's death on the cross gave us righteousness before God. Now, this imputation of righteousness has been incorrectly portrayed as if a rich uncle showed up and paid your fine and an angry judge had to let you go when, in fact, he wanted to see you be incarcerated for the rest of your life. Nothing could be further from the truth. God, loving us from before the creation of the world, was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son so that justice would be satisfied and you could have righteousness before God. Now there's some that argue with that idea that it wouldn't be it's not right for a sinless man to pay for the sins of others. And indeed our, our own carnal thoughts would not think it fair if one person had to pay for the debts of another. But again, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. In uh that, like Dan will say, the uh, cemetery, right? The seminary terms, theologically, we call it penal substitution. It means that Jesus suffered the penalty due by God the Father for humanity's sins. And it derives from the idea that divine forgiveness must satisfy divine justice and that God is not willing or able to simply forgive sin without first requiring a satisfaction satisfaction for it. Now here's the key point to understand. We're not talking about men and people. We're talking about God. God the Father requiring justice sacrificed God the Son on the cross so that we could have righteousness. It only makes sense because of the Trinity. Because we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons in perfect unity. One God, three persons that brought about 
your salvation and did so fully in righteousness and fully in love. Imagine, think about that, from before the beginning of time, God, the Trinity, planned how to bring mankind back to him, knowing full well what was going to happen. One of the greatest mysteries to me is that God knew all this was going to happen and said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. I just, you know, again, human mind would have said, heck for that. <laughs> you know, we could skip this whole show and not bring them at all. Right? We'd just be happy with the dinosaurs. Um, all right. Again, the concept is simple but not easy at all. Right? God the Father required justice in order to grant forgiveness, so God the Son died on the cross to satisfy his justice and allow the, God, the love of God to be demonstrated to man. Amazing. But that's the truth of Scripture. That's what it says. Again, forgiveness would never have been possible without the Trinity of God. He who believes in Jesus Christ has Jesus Christ as his own Christ, and the righteousness of Christ belongs to the believer. It is his. Right? We are not merely imputed righteous. We are righteous. Our substitute is legally, actually, truly our righteousness. God doesn't look down at us and see some cloak of Jesus' rightness. No, no. He sees us as righteous. I'm not speaking of our nature. That has to do with sanctification. But to God, we are righteous. All right, the next blessing that we see is sanctification. Righteousness and sanctification go together. They're two different things, yet they blend into each other remarkably. Hence, in Greek, the two words are joined together. It comes from the verb sanctify, and sanctify is the Greek word, I probably butchered this, hagazio, which means to separate or be set apart. In the Bible, sanctification generally relates to a sovereign act of God where he sets something apart. If you remember, the tabernacle was sanctified, it was set apart from everything else. In the book of Exodus, again, God sanctifies the tabernacle, and even the day is sanctified. Right? Genesis 2.3 says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on it he rested from all work which God had created and made. He set that day apart. It became a special day. Hence, the seventh day is set apart as the holy day of rest. The Holy Spirit, who sanctifies us through the truth of God, works on us by virtue of our union with Jesus. Now, that which brings us into holiness is a new life. Our old nature is never changed into a holy thing because the carnal mind is never reconciled to God. And it can never be. Hence, we talk about the idea of being born again, a new person, a new, not a converted, a new person. And we know that the old carnal man doesn't get sent to the hospital to be healed. He gets nailed to the cross to die. 
Galatians 5.24 says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 